everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN's NBA draft analyst, the foremost expert in every prospect from New York to the Netherlands to <laughs> Africa, the Ivory Coast. Uh, Jonathan scours the globe for us at ESPN. And Jonathan, it is good. And we're going to go see some more players tonight over just across the bridge here in Brooklyn. But how are you? I'm doing great, Woj. How are you? Good. This is starting to be your time of the year. Got college tournaments. Got European. A lot of teams are in Europe right now, or scouts are going over front office people to see players there, which you do year round. Uh, but the college stuff is is picking up. And your most recent mock draft on ESPN, or you're really it's this time of year. It's really more your top sixty prospects. Who knows the order of anything? It feels as though it is as wide open as any draft in recent. I don't think there's a consensus top three right now, is there? No, it's wide open right now, Woj. I've been doing this for 20 years now. It's my 20th draft. And usually by now, we have a very good idea of what the top three is going to look like. And even what the top five is going to look like, you know, it it changes. Guys move up, guys move down. But even like a year and a half out, we usually know the top players. And this is a very, very different year because it's a unique high school class that became uh, college freshmen. Uh, it's especially weak. There was no consensus there about who the best players were. Um, and so I think there's just going to be a lot of movement. We're going in. I had breakfast with an NBA GM this morning and he told me, he said, I told our scouts, we have our preseason rankings, but I'm ready to throw those out the window in about a month's time. And we're going to start brand new. We're going to look at this thing fresh. We're not going to, you know, think of, well, because this guy was, you know, ranked seventh you know we then he can't slide this far no we're gonna we're gonna have an open mind we're gonna scour the globe we're gonna go to mid-major games we're going to be you know looking under every rock and there is a very good chance that you know a guy goes in the top three or the top five or the top ten whatever it is that isn't in that conversation right now is considered a first round pick and so um it's fun. I mean, it's really interesting. You know, last year, I mean, with Victor was incredible, but it's it's really cool to have a year like that where like everything is so wide open. And is college basketball the place this year where there are just fewer? Fewer. I mean, we look at your what you have right now for a mock, and there's certainly you have a top player in Australia, you have Europe. Uh, there's a point guard in Serbia that is coming. Nikola Topic, yeah. Topic and. G League Ignite does have a bunch of, we'll get to them a little bit later. They have a bunch of prospects, but is this a year where we're just, there's just fewer of them in college basketball? Or we just don't know who they are in college basketball yet? I think they're everywhere. I mean, yeah. guys are spreading out now. You know, I went to the, the NBL Blitz in, in Gold Coast, Australia uh, you know, a month ago, and there were, you know, 50 NBA scouts there, which has really never happened for a preseason tournament. And then you go to Europe, and every game, there's, you know, there's, 11, 12 people there. I mean, high-level executives. So w- you really have to keep an open mind to, to this draft because they, they really could come out of anywhere. Your latest rankings, Isaiah Collier, the point guard at USC, who it's amazing. USC might have the two best freshman guards in men's and women's basketball. Juju Watkins, who plays for Lindsey Gottlieb 
on the women's side who, if there was a freshman came out in the WNBA draft, she'd be number one, but she'll be in school there. But Collier and Ron Holland was a player that I think going into the season, he's a G League Ignite, originally was going to go to Texas, right? Correct. Did not have a great showing early with G League Ignite, but in your mind at number one, two, it hasn't happened yet, right? It probably hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it, there's a really good chance that we're sitting there on the clock at the NBA draft at the Barclays Center, and we don't know. Who, 2013 all over again. Exactly. Right? Who's going to be the number one pick? Anthony Bennett that night, I was going through teams from 2 to 15, 16, 17, and I was convinced he was dropping because I never believed Cleveland was taking him one. I thought it was a smoke screen the whole time. And as you know, they were going – they weren't sure they were taking him one. They were trying to trade the pick. They couldn't get enough in their minds. And, of course, the franchise player was waiting there at number 15. Giannis Attentacupo goes 15 to Milwaukee. But it could be that kind of night. You could feel it already, right? Definitely. It's really going to depend who gets the pick. What do they need? What are their priorities? You know, like you talk about Isaiah Collier, Alex Saar, Ron Holland. I mean, these are the top prospects right now. They're so different. And it really depends on what, what you already have. And because, so I think it's, it's going to be really exciting. When you start to look at trends, Jonathan, around the world in players and what teams want and how the feeder system is giving the NBA – the kind of players it wants for what this game looks like is the need being met. Like where, what's changing, what's evolving in how teams are drafting, who they want, and and how the market is is feeding that. I think that there's a correction we're seeing where. You know, three or four years ago, it was all about upside. It was just youth and and and, and drafting teenagers and just taking these swings. Um, you know, for athleticism and tools and length. And I think we're seeing things shifting a little bit, where teams are looking at it and they're saying, you know, these are very valuable um, assets. We have these first round picks. Uh, it's a controlled salary for four years, uh, especially these teams that are, you know, they're, they're bumping up against the luxury tax. And I think they really are looking at it and saying, we need to get a guy that's ready to play right now. We can't put another project on our team. You know, it's too much of a burden for our coaching staff. And so we really, you know, the, the window has become shorter and shorter. We are seeing guys, you know, you really, the clock, you have a two years essentially to either show something in the, or the, in the NBA or you, you could be out of it right there. You know, there are certain schools and programs that traditionally, and sometimes, I don't know, maybe it got overstated or it wasn't, where you said, like, you just, NBA people like getting players from this coach, from this system, that there were certain things they could depend on. Villanova, there was a clear, and Jay Wright, and I think the back half of his run at Villanova, you kind of knew what you were getting with a Villanova player, and it, and it showed out over time, and more so in the NBA. Mikael Bridges and Dante DiVincenzo, you may not have – Jalen Brunson, you didn't envision the kind of NBA careers they had based on where they were drafted and how we talked about them. Who's that program? Who are those programs now that you feel when you go in, you sort of know what you're getting, and there's a through line through them, 
and NBA teams know that. Who, who are those now? I think you have to look at the – you start with the Blue Buds, obviously. You look at Duke, Kentucky, Kansas. Uh, you start there, but uh, – Is Baylor one? I think absolutely Baylor, the, the guards that they've produced, the, the tempo that they play at. I mean, college basketball is really evolving too. And so, like, I, it's, it's a moving target. And I think you're seeing the style of play really evolve. And you see, you know, coaches starting to catch up, you know, like with – recruiting you know more skilled players perimeter oriented guys there's a big trend towards recruiting international now i think you're going to see that you know increase more and more um you know it's college basketball is becoming an older man's sport too you know where it's like the 23 and 24 year olds that's what these guys want you know with the transfer portal and you know being able to have these big budgets you know where you you know uh Blue Blood say, okay, we have $5 million. You know, like, let's go build a roster. You yeah. know, let's go get 10 new guys. And, you know, your schools are looking at who can we add right now? You know, like in the middle of the season for January. They're, wh- who can we pay a buyout to in Europe to get a player? These are things that never happened before. So I think it's exciting. I mean, the level of competition in college, in my opinion, has never been higher just because, you know, these guys are so much older now yeah. and, and there's such an emphasis on advanced scouting and skill work and all that. So um, it's just not easy. It's not easy being a young player in college either. Next year's draft, a, a little clear picture. The player you spent some time around, a good deal around, Cooper Flagg. You've seen him around, I think, Team USA. You've seen him in the summer, and then you were down at Mount Verde Academy. He's the player, uh, 6'10", 6'11", from Maine, where I don't know who the last – I don't think there's ever been a big-time prospect out of Maine, but there's not been a lot of – really division one players. And here comes a player who's as just really unique and he's committed to Duke. He reclassified. So now he's in the 2000 and, you know, likely in the 2025 draft is next year a little clearer. I feel like than this year is he's clearly the, the favorite to go number one. Uh, and he's a phenomenal prospect. I mean, you have to remember he's only 16 years old, six foot nine, seven one wingspan, um, incredibly athletic, but also has an outstanding feel for the game. Is really one of the more advanced defensive players that we've seen in a long time with his ability to rotate block shots, you get in passing lanes, he guards point guards, he guards wings, he guards power forwards, he can put a body on big men, he's physical, he's intense, he's competitive, um, and his shot is making huge strides. That was a big takeaway for me, spending two days in the gym um, with you know his head coach, Kevin Boyle, and his son, Kevin Boyle Jr. This guy is putting the work in and becoming a really, really high-level shooter to complement all the other things he already does well, you know, defensively and as a passer, so he's a very, very exciting prospect, but you know, he's got some things to work on, too. He's got to work on his ball handling ability. He's got to become a better shot creator, um, you know, And but they're pushing him at Montverde. They're, they want him to be more of a wing this year, and they're kind of pushing him towards that 2-3, that and, they, and, and they want him to be a leader. And so uh, it's going to be, you know, the, they've got a very good team, and uh, but, you know, they lost in the quarterfinals of the, of the, of the Geico last year, and they, they, it's a big push for him, a lot of pressure on him to deliver the national championship for Kevin Boyle. They've won, he's won seven out of the last ten, and so he doesn't want to be a guy that, you know, spends two years in Montverde and comes away empty. And then he'll go to Duke where there's no pressure to win a national championship <laughs> either, uh, although they haven't won one as recently as, as Mount Verde. The thing with Flag, and you saw it a couple years ago when he jumped out at me, was I think he was 14 or 15 playing on that 18 and under USA team. 
And to watch him dominate games without scoring, and, and you said it, uh, just incredible instincts, always finding on the court, making a play, rebounding, again, just altering shots. It was such an advanced – he played the game in a way that you don't see young teenagers play. Again, dominating without the ball in his hands. He's not a seven-footer who's just standing at the rim blocking shots. He just seemed to be all over the court and could guard any position. And it comes natural to him. I was at that FIBA Under-17 World Cup in Spain, and I went to USA basketball practice, and I saw all the things that he's doing defensively. And I talked to the coaching staff. I said, like, are, have you guys taught him all these things? Like, how does he know when to show, when to switch, when to drop? You know, where to be, how to, you know, cut off passing lanes and angle. You just don't see a 15-year-old who knows how to play like that. And I said, like, we haven't said one word to him. It all comes so naturally to him. He's so in- instinctual on that end of the floor. And that's what's scary that he's, well, he's six, 16 years old. G League Ignite, where a lot of prospects have come through. You were talking about this. You wrote a little bit about this the other day. And the G League Ignite came, it started pre-NIL. It was a way to, you can't go in the NBA draft, but the G League Ignite will pay you, you know, some guys upwards of 500000 for a year uh, or two years. Are there guys doing two years there? Yeah, John, London yeah. Johnson is in his second year, yes. Yeah. And Jason Hart's been the coach uh, the last couple cycles here, and you know, the NBA's invested a lot in this. They play not exactly a traditional G League schedule, but it's your way. If you didn't want to go to college and play for free or go overseas, go to the Future Star program in Australia, this became an avenue. And I wondered with NIL, with the ability to get paid comparable money and more at places, if this would slow down the pipeline of prospects to ignite it hasn't right this year there's potentially six seven guys who could be drafted right correct yeah this is the biggest class that they've ever had they have eight players who are draft eligible Uh, one of them doesn't become draft eligible until a year from now 2025 dink pate and so uh it's it's really a huge um challenge for the coaching staff like you don't see you know any colleges that have eight freshmen on their roster you know like just you don't see nba teams that have you know eight recent draft picks it's just it's very hard to do and and the the big challenge that they're facing is that the g league has gotten so strong now there's three two ways now and so teams are putting their players there they're sending their first round picks their lottery picks there's no shame anymore in being assigned to the g league and then you have all these you they have you know, exhibit 10s, that's really good money now. You're making, you know, 110, 120, $130,000 a year. So, you know, the the competition for roster spots in the G League is unbelievable. And so you're watching these games that Ignite is playing. And it's just very hard for an 18-year-old to play at that level. They, they just opened up or played very early in their season against uh, the Salt Lake team. Steve Wojciechowski is the coach there, former Marquette head coach and Duke player and Duke assistant. He's there working with the Jazz organization. They lost 158 to 99, the G League Ignite did to the Jazz's G League team. 59-point loss, 34 turnovers, and 
Ron Holland had 11, who, again, might have been first team all might have been a first team All American at Texas. Goes to the G League Ignite. He's at the top of draft boards. And then that that's the question is, you said the G League is tougher. Uh, there are more good players there than ever, and there's more of an investment from NBA teams. Yeah. In these teams and ever. I watched that game. Taylor Hendricks, a top 10 pick, is flying up and down the court, making plays. Right. He's Bryce playing with Sensaba, the Jazz. Bryce Sensabaugh, their first round yeah. pick for the Jazz, also playing in that game. And then every single guy on their team is a former all-conference player. And these guys are 23, 24, 25. These are grown men. And, and, so, and so what does that do? So you, you look back the last couple of years of G League Ignite, players have, they've dropped, but, you know, the Leonard Millers... Uh, go back a couple years, Jalen Hardy, Michael Foster Jr. Didn't, he fell out of the draft, didn't he? Yeah, or he went undrafted. Undrafted. Yeah, yeah Dacian Nix, undrafted. Yeah. The track record hasn't been great, and that's and that's going to put a lot of pressure on, on Ignite this year because guys go there to protect their draft stock or to increase it. And so you see a Scoot Henderson drop a spot. Brandon Miller surpasses him. You see a... Jonathan Kaminga drop in the draft. You see a City Sissoko, Michael Foster, you know, Dacian Nix. And there's a window where they have to show, you know, a proof of concept here. And I just think it's really challenging what what they have to do with these really young guys playing against really old players. Every mistake gets punished. Every time you don't box out, it's an offensive rebounder and a putback. Every time you don't get back on defense, it's a layup. Every time you are half-hearted closing out, it's an open three. And these teams are so good now, and the tempo is so fast that it's it's just really hard. And they've got some injuries that they're dealing with. And so, um, you know, you used to have really, really high-level veterans on that team. A guy like a Pujetter, for example, right. who they lost to the Portland Trailblazers. Um, you had like a Dante Hall, who is you know one of the best shot blockers in the in the G League, and so what you're seeing now with eight NBA prospects on the roster, they got to play all these guys. They don't, you know, the veterans right. are saying, I don't want to go and be the ninth man or the yeah. tenth man, and like I'll just go take an Exhibit Ten or or a two way, and so like that makes it really challenging to build a, a competitive roster. Um, but I think they're going to figure it out. They're going to win some games. Uh, but it, it, they're going to have to be some soul searching here about, you know, what exactly they're trying to accomplish here and, and how did they get there? There's a lot of discussion in the league right now about a two-day NBA draft. First round one day, second round the next. How would that tangibly, do you think, impact teams and what we would see? You get this whole day to regroup, you know, things that I've heard from teams of, you know, the guy who slips who didn't want to work for you before, can we get him in for a workout in the in-between? Um, maybe more trades leading, you know, instead of being on the clock, then maybe some more of those trades happen on the in-between day. What do you think that looks like? How different of it is? And is it is it better? Is it better in any way? I think it's amazing. I think that having more time between picks – allows teams to to make better decisions, especially in the second round. I mean, the way that it flies by two minutes per pick, uh, you know, it's so hard to keep track of. You don't know who has what pick, who's on the board. You know, a guy starts sliding. Um, it's hard to gather information. You see like a Cam Whitmore start sliding, you know, out of the top 10 and Teams are just trying to, they're hitting me, they're hitting you, they're hitting the agent, they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And so I just think 
slowing down this process gives teams the ability to make better decisions and also there'll be a lot more trades. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a woes bomb heavy uh, night where it's just going to be like trade after trade. And I think that's probably why they want to do this in part because it's a great avenue to attach salary to a pick, make yeah. moves, position yourselves for free agency. And we haven't seen that many trades, especially in the top, you know, 10 top 15 the last few years i think you know expanding it will just be great in that regard that's a long two days but football does it i mean football does it obviously they have a lot more picks a lot more players um but yeah i just know the feeling when you leave that draft that there's it's always a thursday night and then friday you know there's some of the players you know the, the undrafted free agents who many of those things are already agreed to and they they, you, you might report those right away, but you usually you get like that Saturday and Sunday and catch your breath a little bit, and then you're really onto free agency. And the teams do too. I think they would move it up, though. I think it would be like a Wednesday, Thursday. I don't think it'd be. They're not going to try to do it Friday night. So it will be. It's very possible, and it's. It'll be interesting to see the strategy. I think the teams who feel like they're well run and have real strategies around that second round, don't want to see it slow down for everybody else. I think they would like to keep it a little bit of that cluster that it becomes, um, especially a team with lots of picks because they can control the thing um, a little better. Um, th- that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, Victor Wimbenyama, who you saw a lot of through his developmental stage in France, spent a lot of time over there. Uh, you've spent a lot of time with his group through the years and gotten to know them really well. What have you seen from him so far in San Antonio of how he's adjusted to the NBA, of how the Spurs have adjusted to him and how they're trying to figure out? I think Greg Popovich has said this all along. We need to figure out how to put him in position and what we need around him. What do you think both sides are learning so far? I think we've seen flashes of, of brilliance, uh, We've seen, you know, it's obvious why he was hyped the way he was. I mean, you watch him for five minutes and it's like, okay, I get it. This guy is, he's one of the most uniquely talented players to ever play the sport. And so, but I do think that they're still figuring out how to get the best from him. And, you know, they, they've got this experiment going on where they're playing Jeremy Sohan, who really spent most of his career playing center, playing point guard now. And just they have very little shooting and they're really it's a lot of freelancing. And I think it's leading to a lot of, you know, too much responsibility for Victor. And, you know, I mean, I would like to see him more in the traditional pick and roll, throw to the post, let him face up. You know, I mean, his best moments have come this year when he's playing the five. And, you know, because his defense is, is so great. I mean, that's on it. That's the offense is what makes the highlights, but like he could, I think he'll be a defensive player of the year, you know, very, very, he may retire that trophy by the time he's done. Exactly. So, um, so I think, you know, just playing him, Colin, Sohan, 
I think they're going to have to figure that out, you know, and I'm just not sure that he's going to be happy, you know, like playing this, you know, very inefficient brand of basketball, which he's had, you know, it's, it's made it so much easier for the opponents to get up in him, put smaller guys on him. You know, he's has to dribble and settle for so many tough shots. I don't know that that he wants to win. He's such a competitive guy. I think at some point he's going to walk in there and say, guys, I can play the center position. It's okay. You know, like okay. I'm not going to break, you know, and I think that's what they're worried about. How is he going to handle the physicality of it and all that? And I think, I think the role that Chet Holmgren is playing in Oklahoma City, I think that's just much more conducive to winning. It's much more conducive to being efficient. And I get what they're trying to do and it's, and it's admirable, but I think that it would look so much better if they just, if they took Zach Collins out and they put Trey Jones in, and they played Sohan and, 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 and Victor at the four and the five, it would it would look better, in my opinion. Yeah, the Chet Holmgren-Victor Wembenyama rivalry, which started in FIBA basketball a few years ago, and Brian Windhurst has chronicled this really well. He was there, you know, he saw those two with each other after their early season, or maybe it was preseason game, where, like, they don't love each other. You know, they like, and it's in a good way, like they want to compete with each other and they've got some history and now they've got this regional rivalry that used to be, you know, there was a period in time we know what the Spurs and Thunder were and we're headed there again. And I just think those two who are so, they're going to be connected. Just part of it is body type. I mean, they're different, but they're, they're, they have a body type that people go, hmm, is that, and the answer is yes, because skill wins. Skill, this is a league of skill now. It's not a league of strength. And, and they both have tremendous skill and will and desire. They're super competitive guys. Uh, that thing's going to be fun. That thing's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, Chad Holmgren and Victor Wenbanyama, they don't, they don't do friends. You know, like they're never, they're going to respect each other, but they're never going to be close. I don't think you could already, I was in Riga at the FIBA under 19 World Cup, and that was a, a really tough game. And there was a lot of bad blood at the end there with the way that Victor fouled out. Um, you know, Chet got MVP, which was controversial. It probably should have gone to Victor, even though the USA won the, the gold. So, I mean, it's going to be an incredible rivalry for years to come, but I don't think they're ever going to be friends. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's good. And it's a, it's good for the, the future of this league. Those players and those teams are going to be, uh, certainly the Thunder are, are ahead right now. And they have put together a group of young players that is like, I think in San Antonio, you're trying to figure out, I don't know if they're all keepers there. I don't know who's going to be part of the surround supporting cast of Victor, you know, Devin Vassell. Yes. And Keldon Johnson. And, but in Oklahoma city, Jalen Williams, and obviously SGA is already first team, all NBA and Josh Giddy, And, you know, Sam Presti has about 43% of the draft picks (laughs) in the next six years of all players picked. So he can do whatever he wants with them, trade them, you, you know, and so it's going to be, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Jonathan, always great to catch up. We're going to jump in an Uber here, head over to Barclays center, make sure we get there for the tip off of that, uh, St. Bonaventure, Oklahoma (laughs) state game. Don't laugh. That's what, and then, then I know you got Auburn, Notre Dame later. So great to visit. We'll be doing this a lot this season, uh, headed toward that 2024 NBA draft. Thanks, Woj. Thanks, Woj.